Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso. Coming up on Fast, the China threat, the shocking headline out of Beijing that could pose a major risk to this rally. We'll tell you what it is. Plus, Oracle on the move in the after hours or after reporting results. The company's conference call is just getting underway. We will bring you all the big headlines. And later, the big bucks in slimming down. The one stock topping the tape today. Thanks. Uh, the battle of the bulls. But we start off with today's rally on Wall Street. Stocks rallying today with the S&P gaining nearly 2%. It all started with news of a major breakthrough in treating the coronavirus, a steroid that could cut death rates significantly among the sickest patients. Next, Jay Powell reassuring the market that the Fed is willing and able to backstop the economy. And finally, fiscal stimulus reports the White House is preparing a trillion-dollar infrastructure package for everything from roads and bridges to 5G networks. So... Were these the three things the market needed to hit it big today? Guy. The three horsemen. Hi, Mel. Hi, Guy. How are you? Uh, Well, I mean, they they definitely helped. And I'm looking forward to Jerome Powell's testimony tomorrow when somebody asks him what his favorite hard-hitting question, what his favorite color is. That's always riveting to me. Uh, It's all about the Fed. I think we all agree with that. Uh, Their commentary has been nothing short of astonishing. The infrastructure, supposed infrastructure bill, obviously caught everybody's attention. I'm hard-pressed to believe that it'll get through this year, given the divide we have uh, politically. The COVID news is great, uh, absolutely great. That's that's a a plus for sure. I don't think it's necessarily a vaccine. But it all comes back down to the Fed and, you know, the fact that they have this thing backstopped. And I've tried to make the point that valuations are stretched. Tim correctly has made the point that valuations don't matter in this environment. And I think that's where we find ourselves today. Yeah, this morning, though, pre-market, I mean, it was retail sales, um, which were much better in the month of May versus April, plus uh, the news about dexamethasone, Karen. So it's it's driven by, you know, the green shoots that we're finally seeing in terms of um, the reopening and the boost it's it's providing to the economy through the numbers that we've seen so far, whether it be the jobs report or retail sales. And then also this progress in in how we deal with this uh, disease. Right. So there was a lot of green shoots, um, as you talked about, that that the the treatment, that would be obviously a huge one. The retail sales numbers were really good. I don't know, though, if that was just pulling forward some pent-up demand, as well as stimulus checks that people had that they were able to spend, which may or may not recur in the short term. I don't know. So I'm a little bit skeptical of that. There was also some negative stuff, um, industrial production, right? And then I feel like the market has been up a lot of times on the notion that the Fed is there. We've sort of known that the Fed is there. So it's sort of, I can't quite get my head around why we trade up every time on the same news that the Fed is there. So, I I mean, I don't know what to do with it in in, in a market like today. I think the, the infrastructure is kind of new. And so it makes sense to me that those stocks would react particularly strongly to that news. But, um... Overall, I, I mean, given the rally yesterday and this today, I don't, I don't really, I don't understand. It's like the whole market now is one giant day trader. I don't know. 
casino. I don't get it, to be honest. Um, the, the Fed is their notion is interesting considering, you know, and for certain programs, it hasn't really spent all too much money at all. I mean, for individual corporate bonds, it hasn't spent a dime yet. For corporate bond ETFs, it's, it's spent a pittance. I mean, basically pocket change in the sofa of the Federal Reserve front lobby, Steve Rasso. So, you know, we've gotten a I lot think of they legs. They might have started today, though. They Let might have started start. today on the individual bonds. I think, yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Grasso. So, so I, 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 I think that, yes, the perception that they are there, to Karen's, uh, to your point and to Karen's point, they are actually buying now. So they will be there. They will backstop it. But if you look at the marketplace, what's the number one thing? Coronavirus. So to me, it's 70% therapy or vaccine, maybe 30% Fed. And I think to, to Karen's point with the day trader, as long as things are getting better on the virus front, this market can move forward. People will spend money, but you need the virus front to subside. We've seen, we've seen states open up. We haven't seen the taxing on hospitals that we saw in the beginning. If we don't see the taxing on hospitals, the market will continue to recover. The Fed is there. They're not going anywhere. No one will fail. It's not too big to fail. It's no one will fail. So between those two things getting more positive, that's why the market can continue to grind higher, in my opinion. It is amazing, though, the mileage that we got out of dexamethasone. And I don't want to I don't want to pour water on this because this is very hopeful, especially for the sickest patients. But but basically, Tim, I mean, if you take a look at what it's going to take to open or reopen the economy, I don't know if dexamethasone is it. I mean, I don't know if if knowing that you have a one right. out of eight chance if you're on a ventilator of being saved by taking the steroid, if that's going to get you to go out to a baseball game or a concert. No, but I, I think you have to understand that reopening the economy, there's a lot of people out there that don't believe this is a problem for them. Uh, there's a lot of people that actually think that they are, you know, they're looking at the numbers, they're looking at uh, percentages of, of flu deaths, and they're, they're saying, you know, uh, and, I'm, and I'm not here to qualify what's dangerous or not. I'm just telling you that I, I, I think that reopening the economy, um, we've seen this on polls, we've seen this in terms of people flooding into casinos, uh, the lack of social distancing, people that are saying they're going to get on a flight earlier. Uh, so that to me is, is the concept of the economy. I, I think everyone has rightly brought up the fact that uh, retail sales may be just better because stimulus checks and and, and there's a lot of liquidity flooding around. Uh, so fundamentals versus liquidity. Remember what $500 billion of Fed balance sheet did in the fall uh, from October 3rd to the end of the year, and even up until uh, we ran into corona. This, it, it led to a massive move in the market where fundamentals were, were very stretched, in my view. Um, so I, I don't think there's any question uh, that this is about fundamentals, uh, excuse me, about liquidity, and that fundamentals are, are uh, people are very comfortable saying, you know what, I'll, I'll wait till 2022. Thanks very much. I think we lost Tim's audio. We'll work on that. Also pretty interesting. Uh, Guy, I'll, I'll go to you since, since uh, Tim is frozen out, out of the conversation for now. Yeah, but I, I caught most of it. So he's right. It's not about fundamentals. He's been, he's been right all along. And, you know, what I'll say is in terms of the coronavirus, I mean, we, we haven't talked about it yet, but Beijing are closing down all their schools. That doesn't seem particularly bullish to me. The situation between China and India doesn't seem particularly bullish to me. At a certain point, uh, with they're both our allies, the, the administration's going to have to say something, I would think. That's not particularly encouraging. Retail sales, yeah, that was a big number. But look at it year over year. It's, it's a funny thing about numbers. Year over year, you're down 6.1%. So I get everything 
And I understand that people want to be optimistic. But when you look at the, the headwinds out there, they're still significant. I still think it's all about, you know, Steve said 70-30 coronavirus to the Fed. I, I can understand that. I, personally, I would flip that around. Uh, Steve? Yeah, so, the, well, two things. Without, without a therapy or without a vaccine, it, is, does, it didn't matter what the Fed did in the past. The market sold off. That's number one. Number two, if China is, is uh, quarantining or pulling back 108 million people, that's a good thing. What was the major blowback originally when, when Wuhan uh, was the uproar? It was that they didn't act quick enough or they were allowed to travel out of China. So I don't think you're going to see that again. This is not part two. This is what we've learned from a couple of months ago. That's really glass half full, Steve. I mean, to take a look at Beijing and, and think that because the impact on the economy is the impact on the economy, whether or not you think it's great that they're being cautious or, or whatever else the reason is. I mean, if, if you're going to close down a city, the impact is the impact. Bottom line. The, yeah, the impact is the impact. But as, as Tim was just saying, we're not floating on fundamentals. We're floating on a couple of months ago. We thought the end of the world was coming. Now people are just happy that we're starting to restart again. So I think we, we have to forget fundamentals uh-huh. and be lucky we're, we're where we are right now. All right. Uh, let's talk more about today's rally. Uh, our next guest says thanks to the Fed, he is officially out of the bear camp. Let's bring in Jim Bianco, president of Bianco Research. Jim, always great to speak with you. What specifically about what the Fed has said and or done that makes you think, you know what, it's time to climb aboard the train? Well, they've gone beyond just, you know, supplying liquidity. That was the early part of the equation. But lately, they've now started in on market support. Look, they started buying corporate bonds today. They announced it yesterday. They didn't need to do it. They did it to just show that they were serious about their intent. But the fact of the matter is, they have put a massive floor on this market. And you know who's noticed is retail. They have noticed it as well, too. First, you cut commissions to zero. Then you allow the purchase of less than one share. You get millions of accounts opened up, an explosion of trading in the market. And when you talk to them or read the Reddit boards, the word Fed always comes up that they're not going to allow. They are not going to allow the market to go down. It won't go down. Then you get Jay Powell last week at his press conference when he's asked if the market's overvalued. He didn't really answer the question, but the implication was it doesn't matter. We're going to continue to do what we're doing right now. And it's becoming a force in the market that it's going to go higher. Now, it's not going to be this way forever, but it is this way for right now. And if you think the market's going to sell off soon, you have to find something that says it's going to be so powerful to bring the market down that even the Fed's unlimited printing and the Davy Day Trader crowd buying like mad is not going to be able to stop it. It's still going to fall. That's a high hurdle to put on it. So, so basically, despite, right now, you're, you're saying put aside the fundamentals. You have to ride the liquidity train. If, if you want to go with the fundamentals, I think it was mentioned earlier, they're all overvalued. They're stretched, you know, as Guy said, to be, uh, you know, simple about it. But there's nothing about this market that says it's cheap other than we make up new statistics, the two year forward or the three year forward implied earnings ratio, which never existed until 60 days ago. But those are kind of made up numbers. But 
the traditional numbers say this is a very fully, if not overvalued market. It is about momentum and it is about the Fed supporting the market right now. Are you saying, Jim, that the retail investor has had enough power in this market to help to help this rally go higher, that it's a big enough force in terms of dollar uh, dollar amount that that it's actually impacting the move? Yes, I do think that that's the case. I'm going to push back on what Tim said last night after you talked to Partnoy, and that they do. Now, look, there's no statistics that we could trot out. We can only go with antidotes. But the one closest statistics we can have is in the options market. They break down trades by the size of the trade. Um, small trades of less than 10 contracts or more have exploded in orders of magnitude in the options market many times before higher than the previous peaks, so much so that they're powering the entire options volumes, overall volumes higher as well, too. The number of trades of one contract in the options market is approaching 15 to 20 percent of all trades from practically nothing a year or two ago. So you could see it in the options market. Unfortunately, we don't have the similar statistics for the stock market, but we do know that they're there and Price is set at the margin, and they are the marginal buyer that is new to the market in the last several months. So you're on this trade. You're, you're you know, riding this rally, Jim. At what point do fundamentals enter the equation, or do you think the Fed's printing price is strong enough to actually get us uh, a bridge to the other side, so to speak, of this pandemic in terms of businesses recovering and actually being able to give guidance and, and fundamental things that investors typically like to have in order to value stocks? And do you care about whether or not the Fed is able to exit the trade, so to speak? No, I care about all that. And I do think that there will be a reckoning at somewhere down the line. If my premise is right and that this has gone beyond liquidity to price support, pushing the market higher, there will be a problem somewhere down the road, but not now. And the market's going higher. Yeah, at some point, when we are done reopening ING and we've reopened ED and we assess where we're at and that's it, we're done reopening, maybe there's a disappointment that sets in then at that point and that we realize we're going to come up short. Hmm. But we're not there now. We're not going to be there next week. We still got the hope that things will be better next week. Things will be better in two weeks because we're going to continue to reopen. More restaurants will be coming online. More people will be able to do bigger gatherings as well. And the hope that things will continue to get better. When we get to the point where we say, you know what, this is it. We're done. We're reopened. This is the economy we have. Maybe at that point we come up short. I actually think we might. At that point, we might run into trouble. But like I said, that's that's a story for another day. For right. right now, this liquidity is what's really powering the market up. Jim, always great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Jim Bianco, Bianco Research. And yes, again, uh, Dave Portnoy makes it into the A block here. Um, let's talk about buying stocks on hope, Karen. I mean, does, does that work for you? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's sort of like buy the rumor, sell the news yeah. is what Jim is saying, right? By the rumor of of reopening being promising and sell the news of the actual reopened economy not doing as well, maybe, as we all hoped. Right. And I guess, yeah, if we come up with a vaccine, then just sell everything right away. I don't I don't get I mean, I understand what he's saying that the Fed is there and I understand that that is putting a floor under the market. But I do think that, I mean, look, look, you know, I don't know if we get to uh, what happened at the cruise lines just a, a, few, a little while ago of, you know, sort of a setback. 
Um, so I'm kind of afraid of that because I think things are so overvalued and are already pricing in such a V-shaped recovery. Mm-hmm. So I, I am definitely not on hope, and I'm definitely not trading bankrupt companies on hope. I think that's just crazy. Yeah. Tim? Well, I, I, I think I've said liquidity is what it's all about, so I'm not going to repeat that other than to say uh, there's different parts of the market that have responded more than others as a function of the retail investor. I don't think there's any disputing that. Um, but I also think that you have a, a, a cross-asset kind of cyclical thing going on. So you've, you've had this recovery in resource stocks. You've had this recovery in banks. You've had this recovery in industrials and transports that were two years into bear markets. So that's part of what's extraordinary here. And that's um, I, I think that's, you know, that's the the institutional community. It doesn't really matter um, ultimately. And, and trying to determine I don't think we have statistics that are going to tell you what percentage of this came from Robin Hood and what percentage of it came from, uh, you know, it's, well, we have those, but but they're not out there right now. The more important dynamic here is momentum, is that fundamentals don't matter, is that this is the same thing we've didn't, been doing since 2009. We've had people come onto our show uh, and complain about fundamentals, saying they want to short it, uh, that the Fed's lit it all on fire, when in fact, all that's really happened for the last 10 years, given a, a few bouts of volatility here or there, is the market has responded to liquidity, and it will continue to do that. So I agree with Jim Bianco, and there's no disputing that. All right, coming up, Apple charging higher as the street crowns a new top bull. We will break down that big call, but first, we're all over the after-hours action in Oracle. The company just reported results. The call is now underway. We'll bring you the trade when Fast Money returns. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've gotten an earnings alert on Oracle. Shares are moving lower in the after-hours session, down by about 3%. The call's underway. Let's get to Josh Lipton in San Francisco with all the details. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, Oracle reporting Q4 results, beating on the bottom, coming in light, though, on the top. Just want to dig right into the segments here. Cloud services and license support, that's their biggest segment, $6.85 billion. That was lighter than expected. Remember, that includes cloud revenue, but also maintenance fees for traditional software. Cloud license and on-premise license, uh, about $2 billion in the quarter that also missed expectations. That's license revenue for software that can be uh, deployed on the company's own hardware or on hosted data centers. Uh, quote here that's interesting from Oracle CEO Safra Katz. She says, our overall business did remarkably well considering the pandemic, she says, but our results would have uh, been even better except for customers, she says, in the hardest hit industries that we serve, such as hospitality, retail and transportation, postponing some of their purchases. Checked in quickly, too, with uh, Kirk Matern over at Evercore ISI. He covers the name. I wanted Kirk, Kirk's quick take. He says, listen, um, obviously revenue came in below expectations. He did notice, though, um, there was strength in cloud ERP, so that would include financial management and supply chain software is what he's talking about there. He wants to know what the company can do in terms of operating income growth and free cash flow growth in fiscal 21. Kirk noting that the free cash flow growth was negative in fiscal 20. He does have a neutral rating on the stock. I asked Kirk why he remains on the sideline. 
by. He said, listen, bottom line for him, the question is, can Oracle do, show more, he said, sustained revenue growth going forward? Heading into this report, the stock had a nice uh, bounce, about, up about 30% in the past three months, so it was still underperforming the broader tech sector. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh. Thanks, Josh Lipton. Um, you got to wonder if decline in license revenues and specifically cloud indicates that it's losing market share to Microsoft and an Amazon guy. Yes, and we talked about it last night. And if you look at the, ch- if you just want to go technical, look at the chart since July 2019. I think it was a $60 stock. You have a series of lower highs, lower lows. That's not encouraging. You have no revenue growth basically over the last few years. It trades at a trough valuation because there's real no growth. So I'm not knocking Oracle. I think they're making the move. They're trying to make their transition to cloud, but they're getting beat at it, and that's not particularly encouraging. And I think you could call it a zero sum. And I think you can point to Microsoft like we did last night, and to a certain extent Amazon as well, as the winners. And Oracle, not necessarily a loser, but they're definitely the, uh, the and, and after runner, as they used to say. Mm-hmm. Steve? Yeah, so when you talk about cloud and licensing, uh, it's 80% of their revenue. So these guys were on-premises, switching to the cloud. They're just late. They're, they're lagging. They're almost, they remind me of IBM. IBM had to turn around this ship and really had a different path. And I don't believe they're capable of competing with Amazon up 42% year-to-date or Microsoft up 24% year-to-date against Oracle up 3% year-to-date, even with that 30% recent rally. So I would stay other places besides here. All right. Coming up, just as the U.S. expands its reopening program, a major setback in Beijing. Could another lockdown in China hit stocks at home? Plus, we're counting down to earnings from Kroger, why options traders are betting this grocery chain is ready to pop. We'll be back in two. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are following a developing story out of China. Beijing hit with a second wave of the coronavirus, the fresh outbreak exceeding 100 new cases and forcing authorities to close schools again and reinstate a citywide lockdown. The news could have major impact on U.S. companies with big exposure to China. Dom Chu's over at the wall with the key names to watch. Dom. I mean, Melissa, it's this world's second biggest economy, so they do do a lot of business with American companies. And so we combed through annual reports and took a look at last year which companies had what kind of exposure to those sales numbers in China. Now, these numbers do include sometimes China specifically or the greater China region, which could include Hong Kong, Macau, Taiwan, and areas around them as well. So take a look at these numbers. Tiffany and Company, we know they're in the middle of a possible agreement to be merged here with LVMH. They get roughly 36% of their total revenue from China. Apple in the greater China region, again, gets about 17% of their total revenues. We know Nike has a very large market in China. Roughly 16% of their business comes from China in that greater China region there. Many semiconductor stocks make the list, but Micron's one of those headliners, about 15% of their sales from China. And then Boeing. 
aerospace giant. We know that them and Airbus do a lot of business there. Boeing gets about 7.5% of their business there as well. This is obviously an incomplete list, but it gives you an idea, Melissa, of the types of big-name companies in the United States that have a good amount of exposure to China. We'll keep an eye on them, just like we did during the trade war and trade negotiations over the last several years. Back over to you. Yep, it's all the same basket of stocks. Dom, thanks so much. Dom Chu. Um, We bring this up because we're trading here in the United States as if it's all over, right? But you see lockdowns again in China, and you got to wonder, is that going to impact the S&P 500 companies here that were so dependent on growth in China? We've seen this story again and again, uh, Tim. And Dom mentioned the trade war, um, the initial wave of the coronavirus, and then possibly here yet again. Yeah, but I, I think when you I'll, I'll talk about Nike, which was one of the companies we got some of the first data points on China reopening. We were more, uh, you know, glass half full. I know that term's been used already tonight. So let's stay with it um, in terms of Nike bringing uh, back and getting back to 70 percent of sales in China pretty quickly. Um, I think, you know, Nike bulls will will ultimately shrug their shoulders on downgrades that I think have been put into the stock on on Asia and EMEA. And, and to be clear, uh, global sales for Nike are critical, although uh, the U.S. market's really been uh, uh, the core of understanding where that that company can re-rate. But I think it's the it's the digital sales mix that gives people a lot of confidence in the stock. And they're getting closer to 50-50 on DTC. And I think that's going to continue to support Nike. I'm long the stock, full disclosure. Um, but I, I would not be running uh, on some some weaker data points that I think are ones that we're looking past anyway. Weaker data points, meaning the lockdowns out of Beijing. So we're trading on hope yes, and, and, for China exposure yeah. as well. And it's I mean, this is happening around the around the world. Karen, um, can you can you wrap your head around that? Yeah. I mean, I, I accept that it's happening. Um, I just feel like, you know, what, how much do you pay for hope? I feel like we're paying a pretty full price for hope already. Um, the alternative, though, which is why the Fed is doing it. Where else do you go? Right. So they said they'll be at zero for. They're not even thinking about thinking about it. So given that we don't have an alternative, this is the this is the outcome that they want. Yeah. And, and Guy, of course, we had McDonald's trading higher today on, on stronger than expected U.S. same store sales. McDonald's, of course, has a huge exposure to China. So does Starbucks. So does Yum. I, yeah. Well, as does Starbucks, it's interesting you mentioned Starbucks as I just had it up. I mean, Starbucks, you really got to close above 80, I think, to take the next leg, leg higher. And I hear what you're saying about McDonald's. But I want to just point one thing out. Sometimes uh, an individual stock sort of could tell a story. And you were away at this time, but I remember I think it was March 18th. And Wynn Resorts traded down to $35, I think, on that day, closed at 43 And we were talking to Brian Sullivan that night. And we said, if you're looking for a glimmer of hope or green shoots, which is a term I hate, take a look at Wynn Resorts, which sort of bucked the trend today. And if you look, that sort of has been outpacing the market ever since until recently when that stock topped out at 108, look at it now. I think it's actually uh, trading below 90. So, you know, I think wind sh- sort of showed us the way in mid-March. You know, maybe wind is showing us the way now in mid-June. It's just something I think the market should really focus on because it's a name we talk about a lot. Now, do you hate green shoots because of, like, you hate Happy Hump Day and the gobble gobble, that sort of thing? Yes. Or do you hate green yeah. shoots, like the concept of green shoots, like, you know, rays of sunshine? No, it's, hope. it's the term. Yeah. Okay. That, that, you know, climbing a wall of worry, green shoots, happy hump day, how was your turkey day, gobble, gobble, new normal. Yeah, I can go on. I mean, I could do an entire one hour show by myself on things that infuriate me. You can do that at 6 (laughs) p.m. 
<laughs> in the meantime, let's check out shares of Norwegian cruise lines accelerating its losses in the after-hour session. The company canceling sailings through at least the end of September. Some voyages in New England and Canada canceled through October. Shares of other cruise lines falling uh, in sympathy. Uh, Steve Grasso, you know, we had the uh, green shoot of dexamethasone and all these stocks were higher on the session. And then we have this, um, which just sort of, uh, you know, squashes those green shoots. Yeah, this is going to be a tough one. You know, even though I think people will get on domestic flights, they will literally get on and hold their nose, you know, with a mask on their nose. They'll get on, they'll fly two, three, four hours, and then they'll be outside someplace in a state where things will be a lot better and maybe they could breathe. But I think it's tough to look at the cruise line and think you've recovered. Very t- I've been on, the cru- on, on cruises. I know you have as well. I think they will recover one day. But I think, to, you know, they're all blanketed. They're all down 55 to 65 percent. So it's sort of you got to wait till you get some traction. This is one where you almost have to wait for a real credible therapy, a real credible vaccine. Then they're all going to rip. So I think you could be nibbling and buying some now. But that return on investment might take a, mat- a number of months, not a number of days. All right. Coming up, two big calls in the tech space, sending a pair of high flyers moving in opposite directions today. We'll break down the trades and later why working from home may have given a big boost to the slim down stock. We've got the details from Fast Money Returns. Apple closing in on records today with Citi betting even more gains are ahead. The firm increasing its price target to 400 bucks a share. That's a new street high. Citi analyst Jim Suva explained his call on CNBC earlier today. We think the number one to own, reason to own Apple right now is simply the second half of this year is going to be very exciting. A lot of innovation. In fact, many people were concerned that coronavirus would slow down their innovation and they wouldn't have a 5G product lineup. We have absolutely confidence that they will have 5G lineups in time for Christmas, and it will be big, and a lot of people will want those. Shares also rallying after Apple announced plans to reopen more than 70 U.S. locations this week. So um, are you on board with this call on Apple, Tim? Yeah, I am. But I I don't love Apple's valuation. I think it's interesting we're we're able to talk about innovation at Apple again or the lack thereof hasn't been an issue for the valuation. Let's be clear. We know it's been about services. Uh, We know it's been about the concept of 5G. Um, But I, I, you know, I'm not sure how much innovation is ultimately really there. This has been about a company who's got this huge capital markets machine to buy back stock, to pay a decent dividend, to have a balance sheet that's pristine in a difficult environment and somehow to navigate very complicated political waters and China. So um, I just I don't love the valuation at Apple here, but I look at the rest of the market. I don't love the valuation of Microsoft. Um, 23 times forward Mm. has a 26 times, 27 times services multiple and a 16 times hardware multiple that three or four years ago would have been really tough to stomach. It's also interesting that there's not one or doesn't seem like there's one iota of concern about this other story in Apple today, which is the EU launching two formal probes into anti-competitive practices concerning Apple Pay and uh, its app store, Karen. I mean, this I don't know how you feel about the valuation, but some some might say that it is priced for absolutely nothing to go wrong. And if if they are found guilty in this in this investigation, that's 10 percent of annual revenues. That's the fine. 
I think the market just chose to completely ignore that. I mean, these things take a lot of time to play out. So I don't know. It seems like the market's pretty short-term focused, and that's a longer-term issue. Um, But in terms of valuation, I read the piece. One of the, I I think he wanted to sort of stake his claim as the high high, uh, target on the street. So he's done that. I don't know if others will will feel like, all right, they've got to one-up him and do something north of where he is. One of the things he cited, though, was that expectations are low. That, um, not I, the stock it doesn't. It's not trading like expectations are low. I am long though, so I am optimistic about 5G. Um, but the other thing he talked about was getting to a 25 multiple. So some of the gain is from a multiple expansion, which you know Tim was getting to that point. It's 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 pricey. Again, I come to the uh, you know I don't have another alternative. If I were to sell it, I want it, If I want to be long something else, I don't have a better alternative right hmm. now. All right, let's turn uh, from a bull call intact to a bearish one. NVIDIA dropping after Morgan Stanley downgraded the stock. The firm saying NVIDIA is still a core holding, but its current multiple could be a concern. Uh, Grasso, where do you stand on, on NVDA? So uh, NVIDIA is up 53% year to date. It controls 70% of the gaming market. I haven't even t- spoken about AI. We didn't even speak about robots. We didn't even speak about driverless cars or the Internet of Things. This is a stock that you must own in your portfolio. You will, it, there'll be volatile times, but if you look at the chart, straight up, smoother than AMD. They always compare it to AMD. AMD is up 18% year to date against 53% for NVIDIA. I'd rather stay with NVIDIA. It's not overbought on a relative strength index. I think you still have some time here and it, con- it controls the gaming market and it will control multiple other markets going forward. You know, Grasso hasn't self would you rather this whole entire show. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to yeah. toss this to Guy. I will t- I will invoke the would you rather, as I should rightfully as the host of this program. <laughs> Guy Adami, would you rather Nvidia or AMD? <laughs> I love, I'm glad you you're invoking. Invoking is always a good thing. Uh, I would rather AMD. Uh, I, I think you get I think you have a little more bait at this point in AMD. Listen. I understand what Morgan Stanley's doing. They're taking the money off the table. I think they actually raised their price target to 380. I might be mistaken. It's effectively where the stock is. But, you know, I think you got a shot here. Lee Sue does a great job. That last earnings report got the stock below 50. I think that's your buying opportunity. So in the game of Melissa Lee directed, would you rather AMD over NVDA? By the way, you don't even need to intro it as that because it is that. <laughs> or at least it should be. <laughs> Maybe not so much anymore. <laughs> All right, we've got a market flash on top. You know that freeze button, Grasso? How do you think that freeze button works? <laughs> Under the desk. Nice. Exactly. Zap. All right, back to business here. <laughs> we've got a market flash on Southwest. Phil has got the story. Phil. Hey, Melissa, take a look at shares of Southwest Airlines, the company out with an announcement that it is going to be extending its guarantee of the middle seat remaining empty on all of its flights at least through September 30th. That's not a surprise. That has been a popular policy with people as they've been booking flights. They're also announcing a fair sale to select destinations. And like so many other airlines, reiterating its policy when it comes to face masks. Wear them if you're going to get on board. Melissa will talk more about this tonight on the 7 o'clock show. This is a policy that should not be giving passengers any trouble. They know about it going in advance. And yet a lot of them seem to not want to wear those masks. What are the consequences? We'll talk about it tonight at 7 o'clock. All right. Uh, Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. Um, 
I'll go to you, Steve Grassley, since I froze you. I feel kind of bad about that, using my power to, to freeze you. But, um, but <laughs> in terms of South, does this change the calculus? Because, I mean, they're doing this for a reason, because maybe consumers aren't willing to fly if there is somebody in the middle seat. So it's sort of a, a trade-off. You're trading off the middle seat occupancy for a consumer who will fill the seats around that middle seat. Yeah, I, I think it's a good policy. And I, I just don't understand the, the person that doesn't want to wear a mask. It's... It's a very selfish trait. You're wearing that mask for both your protection and their protection. So when you look at Southwest going into uh, Corona and COVID, Southwest and Delta had investment grade balance sheets. They were the only two out of the airlines that had investment grade balance sheets. You can catch beta. I'm long spirit. That's where I look for beta, both up and down uh, to buy it and sell it. But these are names, Southwest and Delta are, na- are premium names in the space that are core holdings in many people's portfolios. Tim? Yeah, I mean, we, we've heard from Southwest and we've heard uh, some of their uh, outlook just on, on their buying plans from, from Boeing and some assessment of where their schedule is going to kick up in July. So the good news is there. I agree on the balance sheet. When we went into this, it was always about measuring how many days, who could withstand, who could avoid a dilutive equity issuance, a partnership with the government that nobody wants. So um, I, I, those are the two names in the airline space that make the most sense. All right. Coming up, a building boom. Infrastructure stocks jumping today in reports of a new spending bill out of the White House. Our traders will break down the names they like, plus options traders are eyeing Kroger for a big breakout. We'll tell you why when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Infrastructure stocks are rallying today in reports that the Trump administration is considering a new trillion dollar infrastructure plan. Um, Karen, there are some names in here that you have owned on and off throughout the years. Um, which ones do you like now? Well, for me, United Rentals is really I mean, I liked it before this. And then this was always sort of, OK, this would be icing on the cake if we could actually get an infrastructure deal. And I actually think it is possible. I do think there's some bipartisan support for it. So then um, we need more stimulus. So I like it. I think it was in good shape going into this and doing that. The balance sheet's in very good shape. They were doing well. Um, they had done a, an integration of uh, an acquisition and also they were handling their expenses well. And so I think if we start to get some revenue growth, that would be a very good thing. And we'd see some nice margin expansion. So I like it. Yeah. Holding on to it. The interesting thing about this infrastructure proposal is that it's not just roads and bridges. So you think of names like Vulcan Materials um, and United Rentals, Caterpillar, all that. But also 5G, Tim. I mean, that's that's an interesting added element to this in terms of thinking which stocks could benefit. Right. So you could look at. Yeah, you could look at some of the cell tower companies and whatnot. I actually think you, you look at some of the diversified miners. Um, and I would look at a BHP or Rio Tinto and talk about it like a back to the future stocks. I mean, the, these are these are companies that I think are very uh, well exposed to what I think is going to be infrastructure spend around the world. And also, uh, you know, the weaker dollar is very, very good for commodity prices. And, and I think we're going to continue to see pressure down on the dollar. We almost broke through 96 a couple days ago. Um, U.S. Steel, who doesn't have a good balance sheet. You know, Karen talked about the good balance. That's a terrible balance sheet, and it's, and it's a, a leveraged story. Uh, but in a world where the Fed is, is there to protect almost everybody, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why something like U.S. Steel is also breaking out. Look at that chart, uh, a name I've long. I've traded it well. I've traded it poorly. Uh, but I do think this is an opportunity to see more momentum there. Guy? 
Well, I mean, I'm wearing the Dan Nathan Debbie Downer hat clearly, but in this political environment, I have more <laughs> chance playing shortstop for the Yankees if baseball comes back than an infrastructure bill getting passed. It's just not going to happen. I, I, even I think some some hawkish some of the fiscal hawk Republicans wouldn't go through with it. So I just don't see it happening. I mean, I understand why these stocks bounced on it, but a name like Caterpillar, which quite frankly has been grim death for the last couple of years, every rally in that stock's been a selling opportunity. My sense is it's the same thing now. Yeah, Grasso, what's your take? So when, when I look at, I'll, I'll keep it back to the uh, URI. URI is down. 4% year-to-date. It's not, it's not overbought in the latest rally. I like that name. I've been in and out of, out of it over the years. Caterpillar is down 12% year-to-date. That one is not overbought either. These are the names that you think about as far as infrastructure plays. But a name that never comes up, it's a smaller market cap, Terex, T-E-X. That one's down 34% year-to-date. I think that one, if you start to see any um, traction, behind this infrastructure deal. And I, and I agree with Guy, I don't think it's going to get done. But I think the more you hear the headlines, Terex could be a name that could pop aggressively to the upside, TEX. All right, coming up. Hey, Mel. Oh, Tim. Can you just tell Guy that Yankee Stadium got downgraded by Moody's today? Oh, a lot. But the Met, didn't City Field get downgraded before? That, that's not important. Today was Yankee Stadium today. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> We're going to break here. Check Thank out you. today's big surge in Weight Watchers. We'll tell you what's got investors piling into the name. And coming up at the top of the hour, Jim Cramer sits down with the CEOs of McDonald's and Canopy Growth on Mad Money. That, of course, 6 p.m. Eastern time. In the meantime, more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We'll get another read on the American consumer when Kroger reports earnings later this week. The grocery chain is up nearly 35 percent this year, and options traders are betting the stock could move even higher on results. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. So Kroger traded well above average volume today, more than two times average daily options volume, in fact. And right now, the options market is implying a move of more than 8.7 percent after they report earnings later this week. That's substantially higher than the 5.8% that they have historically averaged. Where we saw a lot of the opening activity was in the June 33 and a half calls. The buyers of those calls were paying just under 90 cents. So they were making a bet that costs a little less than 3% of the current stock price that it will rise at least 5.8% by the end of the week. And some of that may be fueled by some bullish comments that came out of Jeffrey's analysts. Christopher Manville, who was expecting EPS to beat the consensus by something close to 50 percent. So if they achieve those kinds of results, then a move to the upside of that magnitude is possible. You know, a guy, there's this whole element of the stay at home trade. You know, people are cooking. They're not eating out, blah, blah, blah. Supermarkets should benefit. Is this one that you stick with, though? Yeah, I do. I mean, the best thing that's come out of Cincinnati since Johnny Bench's Kroger, evaluation is reasonable. I think the sign go higher. I'm with Mike Coe here, and I happen to have some chicken marinating right now that post-show, after I do my railing against things that drive me nuts, I'm going to throw on the old grill. So I like my grill, and I like Kroger. So there you go. <laughs> um, the more you know. By the way, we said uh, Kroger's up 35% this year. It's 35% over the past year. It's up 13%. This year, not too bad still. Uh, Mike Coe, thanks for that. Mike Coe with the Options Action. And for more, tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, Weight Watchers topping the tape. We will reveal what's got the stock ripping higher when Fast Money returns.
Welcome back to Fast Money. A big interview for you tomorrow. GM CEO Mary Barra will be on Squawk Box, so be sure to catch it 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time right here on CNBC. Shares of WW, meantime, topping the tape today. The parent company of Weight Watchers reporting a big jump in digital subscription growth during the coronavirus lockdown. Um, Karen, you got some thoughts? On, I mean, this is a huge pop here, 19%. Right. Um, I think Mindy Grossman was presenting it. You know, I feel really dumb having seen Match have big numbers. Um, you know, people want to have sort of a digital place to socialize. And this sort of gives them that as well as, you know, they're talking about a wellness ecosystem. But I think as you and I talked about before, I think this lockdown has sort of created a whole bunch of uh, potential new customers who are looking to lose weight. So I think some of their digital offering is more flexible than their prior plans. So I think they're doing a, a good job, and I missed it again. Having missed this one when Oprah signed on was, I think, one of my bigger misses ever, and I'm still kind of bitter over it, but I wish them well. I think Mindy Grossman's a great CEO. You know, it's interesting because the, the stay-at-home trades are like, you know, pellets. So people are riding the Pelotons all day. They're losing weight with Weight Watchers, or they're eating comfort food like Velveeta, and they're binge-watching on Netflix. Oh. And they, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what to make of this, Steve Grasso. <laughs> I, I like a little insight into you that your comfort food is Velveeta. So that's pretty impressive. So when, when you look at something like, like Weight Watchers, there's so much competition. And, and I think it, it stands to a pop like this that, that you see in the stock can, can mean that it was just poor positioning going into this headline. I, I think that people are craving uh, some digital appetite for exercise and doing something, to Karen's point, in group uh, in group sessions that they can't otherwise get in their normal life right now. Um, I'd be a seller on the pop, though. I think there's a lot better co- uh, competition out there now, and, and they're, they're a dime a dozen, to be quite frank. They're all over the map. They're all over YouTube. You don't have to pay for it anymore. Um, so I'd be a seller of this rally. Guy? We've said, first of all, is, are the, and now I'm going to get added at by Velveeta, but are the ingredients in Velveeta found in nature, number one? I'm just curious because. So, so I bought Velveeta for the very first time. Uh, I like, like Velveeta. Th- three months ago. I, I, the shelf life is forever. Literally. It's for, like yeah. you read the expiration date. It's years from now. And you don't you just stick it on the shelf, literally in the cabinet. Yeah. No so, refrigeration, so is, nothing. So it's is amazing. the shelf life for cockroaches. <laughs> anyway, back to the trade guy. Nice laugh track. You don't find that at all problematic. So I'm going to self, would you rather? I would much rather Peloton here. I think at an all-time high than Weight Watchers. I dig Weight Watchers. It's an extraordinarily volatile stock. Oprah is the greatest activist of all time, but PTON over WW. It's always a self, would you rather, isn't there? Let's go around the trade for the final. Let's go around the horn for final trade, Tim. Yeah, so we, we talked a little bit about the infrastructure trade. I do think BHP Billiton is a diversified global miner. All right, we lost Tim's audio. BHP is his trade. All right, Karen. Yeah, Target. It's off the highs. It's got grocery like we talked about with Kroger. I think if there's a hiccup with the lockdown, it'll be fine. In an up market, it'll be okay. That's not the best case scenario, but a lot of ways to win here. Steve. Tiffany's, that original takeout number was $120. It spiked up there in October 2019. Trade it around there. Below it, you buy it. Above it, you sell it. Trade it. Guy? I think Tim should switch to 6G, and I like my co's Kroger KR. <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here yep. tomorrow at 5. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now. 
Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.